how can I just provide my horse with as much movement and as much natural grazing as possible. Welcome to the Horsewoman Project, a podcast where we talk about all things horsewoman, from relationships to truck issues, taking care of your nutrition and fitness, and of course, horses. Hey, <laughs> long time no see, Michaela. I know, it's like been a whole minute. <laughs> so I need to know, how has how have your sessions with Sandy been going this week? They've been going good. Um, so what I what I ended up doing um is just saddling her at home. Because then it took out the anxiety like my own anxiety. So like my anxiety wasn't there, right? And so she still exhibited some of the same behaviors, but um I just untied her and then we just kind of did like like what we do with the Colts. I just had her untied and then we worked through through it that way. Cause I also noticed too, I'm like, well, I shouldn't tie her when she's that stressed anyways, because that's when it puts me in a dangerous position because she's just moving around because she's like stressed out. But when she squishes me because she's tied to the trailer and is too stressed out to really listen, that's when it becomes an issue. So I just untied her and saddled her at home. And, and honestly too, I, I also realized this week, like kind of have a, had an epiphany, but, and you and I have talked a lot about it, like in our um, positive reinforcements, stuff that we've talked about so if you guys haven't listened to that you can go back and listen to them but I have such a hard time finding that balance between being connected with my horse and really listening and being positive about everything and then also holding the strict like the strict boundaries right like having that balance has been really hard because the few times where I have like just lost it (laughs) I feel really bad um even though it's like those times it's normally i like every time I look back at some of those times where I've just lost my temper and gotten really frustrated it's never been because of the one little thing that they did it's because it's built up and then they finally did something bigger that I was like are you kidding me like I've been listening to you this whole time and I've been being patient so so this week I actually was a little bit more like no you will not do this like, sorry, I am not playing this game with you today. Because just within the trailer, I mean, she's been really good about jumping in up until the last month. And then all of a sudden, we're kind of back at that place where she's like, nope, I'm going to stand here and I'm going to make you wait for me. And I was like, no, hun, I'm not doing this today. And I just was like, just, you know, tapped her with my rope. And then she's like, oh, okay. It just jumped in. And I'm like, <sighs> Like, so I just, I I just definitely was looking at that. I'm like, well, I need to make sure that I'm holding my boundaries a little bit better. Cause I think that's where we're at right now is I have stepped back because I've been trying to be that connected listener and trying to be really positive and, and everything and realizing that I'm kind of creating a little bit of a monster <laughs> because I haven't had those boundaries that I've been holding. So it was, it was good. It was a good epiphany. And I noticed too, that even with me being like, uh, no, like just you're getting in now. I, I'm not playing this game with you. And it didn't turn into a fight. I feel like I've been holding back on doing that because it's turned into a fight in the past where it's just where I end up just being like super irritated. But that time it was just like, nope. And she's like, oh, okay. Hopped in. And I'm like, okay, thanks. You know, and it was no big deal. And I'm like, oh my gosh, 
why am I, like, I could have just set that boundary beforehand. I mean, and it wasn't like, I didn't do anything crazy. It was just like, kind of hold and then just took the end of my rope and just swung it. And she was like, oh, okay. Like I will get in. Cause we're not playing this game today. So long story short, it was good. <laughs> yeah. Well, and that actually, I really like that because you're going to deal with that trailer differently when she's having anxiety about it because that's where you started with her was she was having trailer anxiety so when you're dealing with fear or anxiety you're gonna approach the training method a bit differently because if when she was anxious and a little unsure of the trailer and you were thinking no you get in right now that is when it's going to turn into a fight because she's going to say no like I'm more anxious or nervous about the trailer than I am wanting to trust you and listen to you. So like, I'd rather stay out of the trailer. Um, But then knowing when to phase it up as far as when her not wanting to get in the trailer is simply her being like, well, if I have the choice to go in the trailer or not be in the trailer, I'd rather not be in the trailer. So it's not so much a fear or anxiety thing. It's more just a preference And she's saying, I'd prefer not go in the trailer. That's when you can have a bit more of a firm hand and say, no, you, you will be getting in the trailer. Um, This is, this behavior has to happen right now. Um, Just like you would if you were performing or at a show, you're not going to be able to do that relationship stuff in the middle of your class, right? Unless you decide to school your horse. Um, But yeah, knowing when to cross that line into okay we are going to work with the the anxiety and the fear and things like that and then realize okay it's no longer fear-based it's more just I don't want it today and and being able to be a little bit firmer because it, it will turn out very differently in both of those situations it's it's a different version of a no from your horse um so yeah and I think that's you've worked enough with the anxiety part of it with her that I think a lot of her anxiety about it is gone and now it's more just, meh, I don't want to get in the trailer today, mom. <laughs> yeah, no, that's 100% what she's been giving me. And I think that's it with the with the saddling too. And I was a little bit firmer with her this time than I have been. Because, <clears throat> I mean, I always, I always go on the side of, okay, I want to make sure that we're covering all the bases, right? Like there's no pain. There's no any like underlying factors of why she's acting this way. And um, so when she's been giving me some issues with the trailer, it's been, or with the saddling, I've been, okay, is it ulcer issues? Is it this issue? Is it that issue? Is she telling me the saddle doesn't fit? Because by golly, that horse knows when the saddle doesn't fit. And so I try to be really careful and cautious of that. And so I do like my double checkings. I check all my bases. And so when I check all my bases, then I'm like, okay, you need to knock it off, you know? And so I was a little bit more firm with the saddling as well this time, which actually was helpful because she just needs that. Like, I feel, I feel like I have created a little bit of a monster, like I said, because I have been so like, oh, it's okay. Like I'll listen. But at the same time, I think I had a hard time differentiating between the nose. Like you were saying, like having that, um, because, because you're right. She was, she was approaching like the trailer situation with anxiety, you know, at first and I needed to treat it that way. And I did, but then I continued to treat it that way, even when it wasn't anxiety anymore. And that's, what's created the monster is 
is when she wasn't doing it out of fear anymore, when she's just doing it out of just, well, I don't want to do it. <laughs> you know, that's when, that's when I needed to have switched and I didn't pick up on that. I don't think, or didn't really like that. It didn't quite sink in to me. Like it's, I think I, I feel like it's sinking in right now that like, oh yeah, you're right. <laughs> she, she isn't acting out of anxiety and fear. And the reason we were doing this before is because she was. And now that she's not, she does have a higher level of expectations that need to come from me. Yeah. And I actually have dealt with this similar situation in the last two weeks. So I sent two different horses home um, from training and I loaded both of them in my two horse straight load trailer because you know if they can load in that they can load in anything um, because I can't practice loading them in their owner's specific trailer right um, and so both of these horses had to get into a fairly small enclosed-ish um, slant load two horse uh, one of them was actually a three horse um, but yeah so kind of like a narrow opening because they had a back tack room and things like that so they had to go in and um I thought for sure you know like I've prepped these guys they'll load with me sending them in into the two horse so like trailer loading should not be an issue both horses when they saw the new trailer they were like mm, I don't know and they definitely both of them came up to it with a lot of uncertainty maybe a little bit of fear just like I'm not so sure about this trailer so the way that I approached it was I started slow with just let's make let's get your brain in the trailer let's get your nose in here let's get you getting curious about it hang out at the front of the trailer and um and then they started relaxing a little bit more they were able to put one foot in and then two feet in but they were still like mm, I don't know about going all the way in but their anxiety and nerves about the trailer itself were way decreased from like 10 minutes previous when they were like whoa wait a minute <laughs> and if I would have put on a ton of pressure at that point it would have been a hard no like they would have just shut down and been like absolutely not I'm not getting in this trailer <laughs> but because I kind of approached the trailer with like okay let's get relaxed near the trailer it's not a big deal then I was able to phase upward into okay now every time you are out of the trailer there's going to be pressure asking you to be in the trailer as soon as you get in the trailer with one foot or two feet or you know anything at all pressure's off inside the trailer means zero pressure but I could not have started with that amount of pressure if I would have started with immediate just like get in get in get in get in like I said they would have just said no but I started in that that phase of dealing with the anxiety and then phased it up into more pressure and in an ideal situation, if I would have had several sessions to work with that particular trailer, I would have done it a little bit more curiosity-based, a little bit more on their timeline, but the owner just drove almost three hours to get here. The one owner drove three hours, the other drove five. It's like, they're not going to come back tomorrow, you know, <laughs> like we got to get you in right now. And so being able to communicate that to the horse of like, Yes, you have to get in now. Like we we started it as as best as we could to get you curious and get you confident with the trailer, but at this point you got to get in. <laughs> and but it was just like it was kind of a similar epiphany of like yeah, like you you have to start with working with the the slower part and the curiosity and the confidence, but then you do have to phase it up 
at a certain point. I guess you don't have to, but in certain situations, you kind of do. Because there are times when you're going to have to get your horse to perform or get in a trailer or do something like that. And it was just interesting to see kind of how that evolved with both of those horses. So, Yeah, no, for sure. And it's just finding that right balance is hard because, <laughs> you know, you, well, you and I have both come from the world of no, just do it now. Right. And we have both phased into the, oh, okay, I will listen to you first. It's just hard. <laughs> it's so hard just to just not second guess myself too. Cause then sometimes when I do like hold those straight boundaries and I'm like, nope, you are doing this now. I do expect this of you now. Sometimes I feel bad, like, and feel a little bit guilty. Cause I'm like, did I really listen to her? Did I miss something? Like, and I just go through the steps of, oh my gosh, like, did I just completely set us back? And I mean, this weekend it was, no, I was actually, it felt right. The way that I held the boundaries, like I didn't feel guilty about it. I didn't get upset about it. It was just like, nope, you're going to do this. She hopped in, she wasn't upset about it. And I was like, it was just, oh, that was the right balance, right? Of no, you need to just do this. And I'm, I'm not playing around anymore. Um, But like the reason I knew it was the right balance, I guess. So just uh, people can kind of understand what I'm thinking, but the reason I knew it was the right balance and I didn't feel as bad was her reaction. I mean, I would have felt bad if she really would have given me a hard, hard no, and we would have ended up uh, fighting about it. Right. But because she was like, oh, okay, mom, (laughs) like, I'll just hop in like, sorry. Then it was like, okay, that was the right amount of pressure from me and her where she still felt like she was listened to in some way because she didn't fight me about it. And I felt like I was listened to because she was like, oh, I see that this is a boundary for you and I need to hop in, right? But I don't feel like it's always going to be that way. Just this this weekend, it definitely, or last week, it, it was more that way, which was nice. Um, but yeah, yeah, it's it's a hard balance. <laughs> it is. Well, and with the first horse in these two trailering situations for me, I I was starting to realize that the horse was like, oh, I can just take forever to do this. You know, and she was, she, she was taking more time, which, you know, she's been used to having more time with me when we're at my place. Um, And so that's when it was like the wheels started turning of like, I need to phase this up right now, or she's not going to get in today. (laughs) And then it made it easier to do that with the second horse and be like, okay, let's follow the same process of like, yes, start it with the way we would normally do it and then slowly phase it up a little bit more. Um, But with that, like kind of how you were saying that Sandy didn't get upset by the way that you you told her, you know, like you need to go in. Um, and I think a lot of that has to do with, um, I've been thinking about this a lot lately. It has to do with being the right kind of leader. And we've kind of talked about this a little bit in the past, but you don't like the leaders that just like crack the whip and are jerks and just mean and rude and you know no one likes a leader like that but I was trying to kind of define my version of leadership a few days ago and and um, put some words to it and I came up with kind of the idea of unapologetically asking for what you need so instead of being like I'm sorry I have to ask this but I need you to like that comes across as a little bit less of a leader because you're it's almost like that uncertainty right of you're almost not sure if you should be asking what you're asking um but then if you come across overbearing of like do it and do it, you know like that kind of attitude you know that's that's not the right one either you find that happy medium of like 
nope, you got to get in. Like, it is what it is. And just unapologetically, this is what has to happen. And you keep just that calm, level-headed attitude about it. And it's like, that's the type of leadership that animals and humans respond to. Because you're not angry and overbearing, but you're not like, oh, I'm not so sure. <laughs> so you're not anyway. going to allow them to step all over you either. Yeah. Yep. No, I like so. that. Unapologetically asking for what you need. I like that or what you want. Yeah. That, so. I think that's a good, a good definition there because there is that fine line. Um, and I mean, I even came home after that writing session, just kind of talked about that to my family and be like, I think I am an epiphany today. <laughs> like I have not been holding the boundaries that I need to hold. And I feel like that's also been building up my own anxiety. I mean, we've talked about how my anxiety has just kind of gone crazy the last year, but I feel like because I haven't been holding my boundaries as well with my horses or with whoever, it's actually fed into my anxiety too, right? Because I have been more of that. I'm really sorry I have to do this, or I'm really sorry I have to ask you to do this, or I feel really bad that you have to, like, it's like, no, you know, my horse does need to stand well at the trailer. No, you do need to chill out. Yes, you do need to figure, you know, and, and having that I think is helpful because when I come in as the, oh, I'm really sorry, I'm really sorry, then they have no confidence in me like you said, as, as the herd leader. So in a stressful situation, they are going to be, they're going to have more stress and it's going to be harder for both of us to manage it because their stress feeds into mine and it ends up being what it's been. <laughs> so yeah. Yeah, that's good. I'm glad that you kind of changed up your routine too. Sometimes that's one of the things that's the most beneficial is like you tacking up at home instead of tacking up there. It's like, oh, that's such a simple thing to change in the routine, mm -hmm. but it was so helpful. So. Yeah. Well, and it was good for me too, because it gave me a baseline of, okay, how much of it is stress when we're at this other place? And how much of it is just you being a butthead? And some of it I found out is her being a butthead <laughs> because we're in a place where there is <laughs> zero stress, where we've tacked up a billion times and she still reacted in a lot of the same ways. Um, and so me being able to have that baseline of being like, oh, ah, this is something we actually need to work on the behavior of. And I do need to set those boundaries. And I was in a more and a better state for me to feel like I could set the boundaries because where we have been, I have been in that back and forth of like, do I, do I set this boundary or do I listen to her and try to do something about this? Like, um, so watching her here and realizing, oh, she's doing the same thing here. This is a behavior issue. <laughs> this is, this is her stepping over my boundaries and we need to put a stop to it. So I've decided I'm just going to saddle up here and work through the behaviors before I try to even saddle up at this other place. Um, again, just so I know 100% that she is solid in a comfortable place and that her behavior is where it needs to be and just reset some of those boundaries in a place that's safe for both of us. So then when we go to a place that's a little bit more exciting, it bleeds into that. And I know she knows what the expectations are even in those stressful places yeah and that's a good idea to be able to do it in a location where your anxiety isn't high um because that takes away one factor you know and anytime you can split things into smaller pieces to work on something the more successful you'll be with it because <laughs> if you've got you've got a new location you've got your anxiety and you've got sandy's anxiety that's three different factors there that you need to work on. Now you take away the new location factor and then you take away your anxiety because of the location. Then you're only dealing with 
Sandy's anxiety about it and her behaviors with the saddling. So it's nice to be able to break it down into smaller chunks. <laughs> right. Yes. Well, and the saddling has been interesting because I don't know. And it's one of those, I'm trying to think back of when I first got her. Cause for those of you who don't know, I got her, she was actually a horse that I was working on for a client. And then I ended up getting her um, from him because I really, really liked her. And I'm trying to remember if I remember this issue, like her issues with the saddle before that. And I don't think I do, but when they started, if I, if I'm remembering correctly is after, cause I had her in my, my Western saddle that I rode in for 10 years or more and it seemed to fit most horses and so that's what I started her in and and had her in up until she was six I think and then she grew and that saddle no longer fit and I didn't catch it soon enough so um so she ended up with with like a little tiny white spot on her by her withers um and ever since then she's been a lot more like "Mm, I don't think I want this saddle on me so I think, I think it's just working through that and working through her anxiety of what if this saddle hurts, um, has been more of what we've been working on the last year or two. Cause gosh, what is she eight? Yeah. So the last, the last two years and she, she has points where she's really good at it and she just doesn't, doesn't do anything. And then she has points where we kind of regress and we go back to be like treating her like a cult. Like last week, I mean, I saddled her probably 12 times. I kid you not you know, just to work on the, I can grab this inch and you cannot be a turd butt about it. Like I can reach under here and grab this and no, you are not allowed to reach around and, and be a, be a brat about it. Like you, you do need to accept that it's this and I will listen to you. I'm not going to just yank it up and tighten it, but I did. I just, I treated her like a cult for saddling the first time. And we spent probably 10 or 15 minutes, just saddle on, cinch it up, walk around, saddle off, saddle on, sitch it up, walk around, you know, just over and over and over again until she just chilled out a little bit. So that's something that I'm going to be doing, I think, in every session now as well, is just saddle and saddle and saddle and until she just is like, oh, because I think too, I also went into the positive reinforcement state with saddling. And I feel like I've almost created a monster because of that. So it helped really, like it really helped to start off with where I could get her saddled and cinched up without her dancing around but now she expects the treat and she expects the treat at every single step because that's how I first did it was at every single step as long as she was calm as long as she breathed out and sighed and relaxed I'd give her a treat and now I've kind of phased the treats off where I'm like no the task needs to be done before you get a treat and then I've kind of phased it even a little bit further where it's like "Mm, you don't really need a treat on these little tasks like you you really don't and she is responding to that and she's I think irritated (laughs) that she doesn't get a treat at every little step so I'm also kind of battling that at the same point it's just it is interesting the little things that we do to create these issues Camry yeah and we've talked about that too recently a little bit with treats that with certain horses it can create anxiety when treats are performance-based because they do get in certain habits of when they expect a treat and and um, it's been interesting to see because some horses they don't get that anxiety about it and they're just like oh I'll get the treat one you know eventually when I when I earn it but then some horses are just like you didn't give me a treat <laughs> like <laughs> and it's it, yeah I'm kind of 
I think we're both a little bit in kind of back and forth of like, okay, how do we work through this and, and um, teach horses that it's, we can phase the treats in and out and they don't have to be a, a, a huge thing. So it's like not and, an expected thing, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Yeah. yeah. It's not that participation trophy. Kind of like we talked about, where we're like, yeah, maybe you don't need a treat for every tiny little thing that you do. <laughs> and yeah. part of, part of what I started doing with it was I started <laughs> having the idea of I am the cookie. Like I am going to send vibes your way that are like cookie vibes. <laughs> <laughs> I am the cookie. So I'm like, I am the cookie. I'm going to pet you. <laughs> Be the cookie. <laughs> I love that. Oh my gosh. So I'm going to have to come out. I am the treat. <laughs> I am your cookie. <laughs> I don't know why I have to say it that way. <laughs> because it's awesome. Because <laughs> you can't say that any other way. <laughs> I know. <laughs> so the funny thing is how you were talking about Sandy and treating her like she's a cult again. So now that we've weaned Zaya, my foal, I've been riding Freya a lot more often. And... um I have realized that I skipped some things and I've known this for a while and I just haven't really taken the time to go back and fix it. Um, But early on with Freya, I was trying to sell her when I very first bought her. I was planning on selling her within 60 to 90 days. And then I ended up deciding not to sell her and I kept her for like a year. And then I went back and forth of like, well, like my original plan was to sell her. So then it was maybe sell her but then it was also maybe futurity her and anyway so it, a lot of it was performance based and the the sooner I could sell her and the sooner I could get her performing the more money I could get you know so it was it, there was just a lot of expectation with her early on um and, and then after that it was just kind of I think habits of what we got into but some of the things I did not do with her in the beginning that I regret not doing was working on destination addiction and separation anxiety um and so like working on destination addiction I will do a loose rein ride and just keep the reins loose and ride in my arena with the gate closed and then just focus on okay where do you need where do you get to work and where do you get to rest and the horse gets to choose throughout the session where they get to go in the arena and I did this with Freya a couple of days ago and and just you know looped the reins over the horn and and set my hands down and she stayed at down by like her foal and down by the other horses for like 20 minutes and she would just not go anywhere else and it was like okay you know like we can we can keep trotting and she finally decided after probably 15 20 minutes that okay like now I want I'm tired I want (laughs) to I want to go down to a walk or a stop like where else can I go that's gonna solve this for me and uh, it was so fun because I did that two days ago and then or no three days ago and then yesterday I did it again with her and um, within five minutes she was finding the like she was going the whole length of the arena and she was going out to one corner and then the other edge and she wasn't staying stuck anymore and it's just so funny because that's one of the first things when I'm out in an arena with a new cult that I work on with a cult. Now, I didn't used to do it that way, hence why I didn't do it with Freya because I wasn't to that point in my training career yet. But um, it's just been fun to like backtrack and 
kind of have a do-over with her a little bit and say, you know, yes, now we are going to work on not just the idea of, no, you focus, you look over here and you do this right now because I say so. It's, okay, where's your brain? Where do you want to be? You want to be over on this edge of the arena. Okay, like, let's help you change your mind about that. And it's just been so fun to take her back to that that stage in that cult starting <laughs> kind of mentality. And yeah, it's just interesting. Sometimes the things that you skip with your own horse that you don't realize, because like I said, we just got in our patterns of this is how we ride and this is how we behave. And this is, you know, all this um, performance expectation. And yeah, it's been fun to kind of turn the tables on that a little bit. So. Oh yeah. It is so funny how different it is dealing with somebody else's horse <laughs> versus your own. Cause I mean, 100% somebody else's horse, we'd be over all of these issues that Sandy has by now. 100%. Like we wouldn't even have these issues that Sandy's been having. <laughs> so it's just funny. I'm like, why do I let myself do these things <laughs> with Sandy? Um, but it is because we love them so much and we do have the expectations for them with somebody else's horse it's like yeah well if we get to the arena we get to the arena if we don't whatever with sandy it's like no we will get to the arena like, <laughs> just wait till you have kids michaela <laughs> oh i know <laughs> it's 10 times worse <laughs> yeah <laughs> someone yeah. else's kids you have all the patience in the world with your kids you're like you stop it right now <laughs> you do not do that well, and it's true because I feel like some of our ego is tied behind the things that are ours, right? So whether it's your kid or whether it's your horse, you have that expectation of what you do comes bad back on me, right? And that's, yep. that's something I have noticed in myself with Sandy is sometimes I am like, don't want to take her to places where people know what they're doing because I'm like, don't look at my horse. Like, I know she's kind of a turd head, but if she was a colt I was working, it'd be like, oh yeah, well, it's just a colt I'm working. Yeah, we're working through this issue. No big deal, right? I'd be so chill about it. But when it's my horse, I'm like, yes, I know she just reared and did something stupid. Just ignore her. Like, oh my gosh, you know? <laughs> but yep, I just need to relax and just be like, you know what? We all have horses that do dumb things and horses are horses are horses and we're all in yep. the same boat. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Speaking of horses, should we get into our topic? <laughs> yes, except I do want to say one more thing because one thing yeah. I feel like that keeps coming up with you and me, I'm like, Camera, you and I are not meant to be performers. I mean, nope. I just, as you're talking, I'm like, there are so many people who are. Right. And who can take a horse and who can do these amazing things. And you and I are just not those people. <laughs> because <laughs> I mean, every time we've talked about it, like every time we've talked about you wanting to fraturity Freya, me wanting to show Sandy, it, it always goes like crap, like it never works <laughs> out. And I'm like, well, the common denominator is us, right? Like we realize that, right? <laughs> but so I think it has more to do with just the fact that it's not really aligned with who you and I are more than it is the training styles as well. And I'm just kind of having that thought process right now because I do think there are people who can take horses and fraturity them and do great and like it just aligns with them. And because it aligns with them, it aligns with what they're doing with their horse and it aligns with their horse. But because it doesn't really align with who we really are it's not truly aligning with our horses because you and I are constantly second guessing and questioning ourselves because it's not aligning with us. Yeah. Well, and I'm so much more into the <laughs> horses should be fun. 
mentality. I did not get into horses for it to be miserable and for me to be pissed off at my horse that she's not performing or um, just a lot of that. And I do think a lot of people do find that stuff fun. Um, But to me, it's like, I love just playing um, and doing things that are not necessarily applicable to anything like teaching Freya to rear was so fun. I have never taught a horse that before and teaching her to lay down was so fun and and like sitting in the beanbag and and doing things like that and then just playing I mean that liberty work I I am not trained formally in liberty work at all I have just monkeyed around with it and played um but just being able to go through a set of cones where I'm staying on one side and I'm able to push and pull my horse invisibly to go around and weave through the cones and like things like that. It's just so fun to see, okay, what, what can we do? <laughs> you know, like what are the possibilities here? How can we communicate in this way that makes it just fun and engaging and exciting and not just move your shoulder here, move your hip here, do this, do that, do this. Um, and that's kind of how some of that like futurity stuff ended up feeling to me. It was just very high pressure, very work, 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 work and no play like, where's the play? I need play. It should be fun. Like, (laughs) why do I have horses if I'm not going to have fun with them? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And, you know, and I do think, because you and I talk a lot about, about those opinions too, but I'm, I am thinking like, there are some people I know who the show life is them, right? That is where they live and breathe. And that's where they find happiness. And I think that is great. It's just you and I don't align with that for some reason. And it just, it does not, every time we try, it just goes crappily. And, and I think we need to start listening to that a little bit better. Like, I'm just thinking about that. Like, yeah, it doesn't align with me. So why do I keep thinking I need to do this? Because I mean, originally with Sandy, like when I wanted to show her, it was because I didn't feel like I would be respected as a trainer if I didn't show a horse. That is the only reason I even wanted to show like I have no interest in showing period I have never liked it 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 stresses me out I don't like the environment as much and but I didn't feel like I'd be respected if I didn't take a horse from ground zero and turn them into something that could be shown right but then it was like every time I made that goal I never completed it because it just didn't align with me which meant it stalled my horse's progress too, because it built up my anxiety, which created issues when I was riding, which created issues when I was doing anything that just was not serving her. And since I've been able to go back and be like, okay, what do I actually do that aligns with me and that I enjoy? And it is trail riding, it is vaulting, it is it is horsemanship. It's not the showing portion of it. And when I've gone back to those roots and been like, okay, yes, I want to align with this. Sandy is one of the best trail horses ever because it aligns with me and she loves it too. And I need to just stop having these unrealistic expectations for both of us. (laughs) And since I've been able to let that go, it has been a lot better when I'm just like, you know what, we're just going to make trails our thing and it's okay. And yes, do I still do arena work? Of course I do because she needs to build up the strength and the mind that arena work gives her that will relate to what we do on the trail as well. So, yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of pressure as a trainer too to to get higher paying clients, which 
you know, as a cult starter, there's a lot of people that want to pay next to nothing for you to ride the buck out of their horse and things like that. So trying to branch out of cult starting into um, higher level horses, I felt like the only place to go was show horses. You know, that's where the money is kind of a thing. But again, it's like that just didn't align with I'm so much about the confidence building, the fun, the play, the communication. I mean, that's a huge one for me is being able to help owners and horses communicate better um, and, and connect in that way. And yeah, it's once you find what really is your your niche and your thing and and what really aligns with your values and who you are as a person, it it changes things a lot. And it's been a fun journey figuring that out and being like, oh, that's actually not what I want to do. And this actually resonates with me more. So that's yeah. fun. Well, and you, by doing that, by being in alignment with you, you attract people who align with you too. So just by saying, no, this is the trainer I am. This is how I want this done. People see that and people who want the same things come to you. And that's what you've been able to see is you're getting a lot more people who align with that and who want that for their horses and for themselves. So it's amazing what happens when you are in alignment with yourself, just oh, what yeah. you, what you do get, what manifests yeah. to you, you know, it's just, it's well, amazing. I, I, really just last week not even probably five days ago I had a client come and sign up for two spots for two different horses for six month minimums and they had zero problem with it it was because I worried that like my husband was like you're not gonna get any clients like that's a lot that's a big commitment that's a lot of money it's a lot of time and I'm not a show trainer you know and and yet I'm booked out for over a year now as soon as, like, once I got those two other horses, I'm like, holy crap. So it's, it is crazy how, like you said, once you find what, what your thing is and what aligns with you, all of a sudden people that align with that come and find you. And it's, it's fun to see. So it's, I've no, been it's, blessed. Yeah. <laughs> oh, for sure. And it just, it really does come. And because of your new model, it's going to be no problem for you to book out for a year right? Because of your model, because of what you have set up, because you are taking more time. Like I would be way more likely to, to send my horses to you for six months because I know that they're going to get that individualized attention as well, because you don't have 15 horses that you're working and it's not going to be this, I don't know, like conveyor belt type training. You know, it's like, if I send a horse to you for six months, I know exactly like that they're going to get all of the attention that they need and all the care that they need. And, and for me as a client looking for a trainer, that would be really amazing. Like if I were to send, cause I have, I've, I've talked to you about it. I'm like, if we live up here, I probably will send my horses to you every winter leave me a spot, you know? Um, but it's because because I know with you that it, they would be aligned with what I'm already doing and what I want from them. They would be getting ridden in the way that I want them to be ridden. And they would also be able to play and to learn new things. And yeah, so I, I like your training program. If you can't tell guys, <laughs> go to Camry. Thank you. <laughs> but I've noticed the same thing with my coaching lately. Um. Because gosh, there's, there's just aspects of my business that stress me out. And 
some of it, like there's always going to be parts of your job. It doesn't matter what you do. That's going to stress you out that you just need to kind of buck up and do it. And that's how I've been viewing some of these aspects of my coaching is like, oh, well, this is just part of coaching. Like this is just, I just need to buck up and do it. But then I've been able to talk with some mentors and stuff and just have that like reflected back at me and go, wait, why am I doing some of this stuff? Like, I don't need to do it. Um, there, There's a lot of things that, yeah, it doesn't really align with what I really want. So why, why am I doing it this way? You know, and why am I doing a hundred different things when I could just be doing the one thing that I really, really enjoy? Um, so it's been, it's been interesting just from a business standpoint to, to also look back and be like, why am I forcing my horse into this? And why am I forcing like my clients and myself into this kind of a life that, it's not in alignment with what I truly want and what I truly want to talk about and to teach people about and to help people through. So it's just, it's interesting to just see the growth that you have when you really have that bird's eye view back at yourself. Yeah. Which is hard to do sometimes. <laughs> we get so tunnel vision sometimes when you're in your own little world in your own little realm and yeah, it's, it's good to take that step back and be like, okay, big picture here. <laughs> oh, all the time. And honestly, Cameron, I have never once been able to sit back and have the bird's eye view without somebody's help. Never. And I've always had to reach out and say, or talk to somebody about it, like whether it's you, whether it's with one of my coaches or my mentors or, or a family member, it's always taken somebody else's perspective and their question to be like, well, why are you doing it that way? It's like, I don't know, <laughs> you know, and that's when I get the bird's eye view. I never, I've never been able to really step back and just be like, hmm, I feel this way. Why do I feel this way? It's really hard to do it yourself. That's why you need to surround yourself with people who will ask those questions or will reflect it back on you. It's just very powerful. It is. It is. I like to give answers instead of ask questions. I'm bad for that. I'm like, well, you could look at it this way. <laughs> well, but sometimes that's good though too, right? Because I mean, even even just you coming at it like, oh, well, you could look at it this way. It's, I feel like it's not necessarily giving me an answer as much as like a different perspective of like, oh yeah, I guess I could look at it that way. Do I want to look at it that way? You know, because then that's, yep. what gets, that's what my brain goes and does. I'm like, Oh, yeah, I guess you're right. I guess I could look at this, like, in a positive way, maybe, if I wanted to, you know? <laughs> <And> <laughs> when I'm ready. <laughs> right. <laughs> but it just, it it is, it's it's very nice to have friends to really talk to about things or, or mentors or coaches. And that's one of my things. Um, I've got a few clients right now who they're just like, it's so frustrating because, because I'm having a hard time seeing the big picture. I'm like, yeah, but that's what I'm here for. I'm here to point out the big picture to you. That is why you hire me. And that, you know, that's why we're going through, through it the way that we are. It's, I do not expect you guys to see the big picture. No one who has ever hired me sees the big picture <laughs> coming into, because if they did, they wouldn't really need me. Right. Um, but that is one of the most powerful things about having like a coach or a mentor or or a friend who who can see that big picture and just point out like, well, yeah, okay, you went up a pound today, but look at your whole week. In the whole week perspective, you've gone down a pound and a half, right? But they only see when the scale jumps up one day. And this has been a big thing for for quite a few of my clients lately. I've I've noticed this pattern of just the scale is so hard to get over. And it's because they see it from the day-to-day -day perspective without 
seeing the whole picture without without taking a step back and going, oh yeah. So yeah, I, I went up from 150 to 152 today, but if I look at my average, the average for the week, I, I still lost a pound or I still lost two pounds or or whatever it is that we're working on. Um, but it is hard to see that because because when you are in your life, you are in that present point of the line, right? It's really hard to take into consideration your past and your future at the same time. Yep, for sure. Well, and I'm because of being coached by you, I'm getting better at asking myself questions too. Um, and being able to coach myself a little bit, which I I mean <laughs> a little bit. It is a lot different when you have a coach too. <laughs> but um it, it it's interesting how you get more into that like self-reflection and being able to kind of ask yourself questions and things when you once you start learning that skill of of reflecting things back and and thinking through things oh yeah yeah and I, I mean I'm the same way I I've had so many coaches in the last two years but I still I mean there are still times that it's hard for me to reflect like like just just now just what we're talking about with my business it's hard for me to sit back and reflect and go oh why am I trying to do six different things in my business when I really should just be focusing on the one thing, right? And the one way that I want it to work. Um, but it, it took a coach for me to ask me that, <laughs> for me to be like, I don't know why I'm doing it this way. <laughs> you know, like, oh yeah, I guess I don't have to do it this way. Um, but it, it just takes reps, you know, like with anything, like with training your horses, with training your body, with anything, it all takes reps. Nutrition takes reps you know, and it, I do not, I always tell my clients, I do not expect perfection. It's always just the consistency. And it's the same with working with our horses. We don't expect perfection from our horses. We just want them to consistently show up in, in a certain way. Will Sandy ever be 100% perfect going to a new arena and getting saddled? No, I don't expect her to be perfect. I just expect her to be consistent you know, mostly consistent. And if she can be mostly consistent, then on those days when she isn't perfect, we can work through that. Not a big deal. As long as, you know, as long as when we go to baseline, like at my house, if she is being consistent at my house, so I know for sure, hey, here's our baseline. So when we go to new places, if she needs that a little extra help, I I can confidently help her when I know that the base is there, when I know the foundation is there. And that's the same with my coaching clients. It's like, if I know you, they have the base. I can help them in whatever mistakes happen, right? Because they have that base and they can always return back to baseline. Yeah, for sure. I think, so I'm going to kind of just talk a little bit about what a track system is really quick in broad, broad, broad terms and then why I did it. Um, And then we can kind of go from there. Does that sound okay? Yeah. Yep. Okay. So... I talk a lot about my track system at home and what I say when a track system is I've taken the perimeter of my property or whatever area that I have for my horses. Um, and right now I've, they're out on about an acre of, of pasture area and I've just taken and I've put a perimeter around that pasture. So they have to walk the perimeter to get to their different places. Um, and what I've done this for is to just increase movement to also save my pasture <laughs> and keep them from overgrazing my pasture. And then, um, but, but mainly to increase movement and to continue to work towards hoof health. Um, so I started this with my warm blood Gabe, um, who we have talked about a little bit. 
but he was my waltzing horse. And when I got him, he had a horrible, horrible, horrible navicular, like to the point I got him from a place and they were kind of just considering putting him down, but I had worked with him and trained him to be the vaulting horse at that place. And so I was like, you know what, let me, let me try. Like, I, I, I want to take him. I love him. I'm connected with him. Um, and gosh, it started just a lot of trying to figure out how to help him, um, in the best way possible. And that's, he's also the reason I started my barefoot journey. <laughs> so, um, when I decided to finally just go barefoot with him and to try it out and to just see, because he was over 17 hands and his feet were like size twos, like just tiny, tiny feet for his size. And so his frogs were, I kid you not, maybe half an inch thick, like just little tiny frogs. Um, his, his feet were just really, really unhealthy and it didn't matter. I just could never find a shoe that could make him happy. Right. And we tried so many different styles and so many different things. So I finally went barefoot with him. And that's kind of when I started diving into the track system thing as well, because I'd been following and I will put a link. I'd been following this rehab group and, and um, watching them. And I think they're, they're in the UK somewhere. I'm not sure exactly where in the UK but they do hoof rehab for navicular horses, for laminitis horses, for founder horses. Um, and they use a track system to help with that. So I'd been watching them and kind of following them and following different posts on like Pinterest and, and on Facebook and just looking at like the different, um, I, I haven't bought the book, but I've read like different blogs and different things about it. And it's like, you know what, why not try it? Like, let's see if we can get him more movement and if that helps. And oh my gosh, between those two things, he was a horse that like we were going to have to put down almost that first year I got him and I was able to keep him for four years before we finally did have to make the decision to put him down. Um, but when I started, I had this little tiny paddock, like, I mean, not very big at all. It's probably the size of just a small arena um, is this paddock. And I had four horses. And so trying to figure out how to make this work with all of them together and all of them doing their different things and making sure he actually got the movement I needed him to get. Um, it's not a typical track system. So if you were to look up like Paddock Paradise is, is the book that everyone kind of bases it on. Um, normally the track systems are like full circles where there's no end point because they just want the horse to kind of flow through and do different things. I don't do it that way because I just don't have the space or the means to really make sure my horses are getting the movement they need that way. So um, with how I started with the paddock, I mean, and I sent, I sent Camry a couple of videos and pictures of it. You'll have to let me know your thoughts on it. But I mean, it was seriously, <laughs> it was a maze <laughs> and lots of just different ways to get them to turn. So we, we had water on one end and then he'd have to go through the maze and then food on the other end. And then he'd have to go back through the maze to get his salt with somewhere in another corner. And then, I mean, just tons and tons of movement. And what I noticed with that is they moved constantly. I mean, they never really stood in one place and he was able to run and buck and play. And he never did do that because he was so sore, but because he was walking so much, his circulation was just going through his hooves a lot better and helping that pain management. A, a lot a lot better um so we did it that way but again it was a mess we had so many people drive by our house and be like what are you doing why are you doing that you know like 
I have a means to this. I promise I'm not just crazy, but, <laughs> but I mean, it, it was, it was amazing. We tried many different ways of, of doing like a perimeter track or, or whatever. And we, we settled on more of a maze um, with lots of different turns and put in lots of logs and things for them to have to step over and jump over and play around with. Um, so that's how I started it. And then now with, with the place that I have, um, it is more around a perimeter, like I said, but I do have, they do have stopping points. So we have their water on one end and there's no way to circle around to get the hay just because of how it's set up for us to feed. It's really hard for me to feed in other points, especially in the winter. Um, so water's at one point and then they have to circle back around the entire track to get to their food, circle all the way back around to get their water. Um, and then we also feed um, half and half. So feed half their hay in one spot, half their hay in the other too, especially in the winter to make them go get the water as well. Um, because that's one thing I noticed is they weren't as motivated to just go get water in the winter. Um, but since I've been splitting up their feed, they are really motivated to go get the other feed. And one thing I've noticed is they'll take like a couple of bites of their feed at the, at the, feed station where we normally feed everything and then they run around the track and they go get a couple of bites of hay there look at the water run around the track go get a couple more bites and so they are moving a lot during the day which is really big deal for me in the winter because last winter they didn't move at all because of the amount of snow we had and now they're trudging through the snow and they're getting tons of movement so that's what mine looks like. Started with trying to rehab my navicular horse. Um, and I would say it was very successful. I do feel like um, we ended up having to put him down just because when we moved, we could no longer keep up on his pain management here. Um, the prices for his medications were more than quadruple what we were paying down in Utah. And he just, he just was getting to the point where he would not even move to, to eat because we could not keep up on the pain management. Um, portion of it as well. So that is why we ended up having to make that decision. Um, but I do feel like going barefoot and doing the track system gave, gave him three or four more years. Um, so yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. And he was looking so good when you brought him over to my place for me to practice vaulting on him. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, he oh, he, so happy. I miss him so much. Like it's, it's kind of one of those, I talk about him and try not to cry all the yeah. time. But he was kind of one of those heart horses, huh? Well, you know, the cool thing about him, and this is kind of a tangent, he was at the place we were at, he was dangerous. He was a dangerous horse where um where we were at the barn that he was at where I was working, where like we couldn't let kids handle him, we couldn't let kids lead him. You had to have a chain around his nose to lead him anywhere because he just was kind of dangerous. And he and I were not connected for the first couple of years that I was there just because I was like, why the heck do we have this horse here? I don't understand. Like there's kids everywhere. Um, but then they were kind of just deciding to put him down. And for some reason I was like, wait, I'm not really aligned with that. Like, let me try a couple of things. And that's when I took him and trained him to vault. And I mean, I literally trained him to vault. Just, I put the vaulting stuff on him. I shut all of the gates and things to the arena and I just vaulted on him. Just let him walk around loose while I vaulted and did different things on his back. And that's how, like, I taught him to just, <laughs> to accept that vaulting. And then we, and then we moved to, um, I had somebody help me with the lunging portion, but 
by gosh, having him do that, he was a completely different horse. When we switched him to vaulting, like all of a sudden that was his job. And he turned from this horse that you could not trust, period, because he would just blow to three-year-olds could get on his back and stand and do all these things and with wind blowing and all these things going on and he took care of those kids and it just was oh like I get chills like I have goosebumps right now but it really taught me to just horses need purpose and they need they need a job that aligns with them and this job aligned with Gabe and so when I left I yeah I begged and pleaded I'm like if you are not going to do this with him let me just let me take him like you know, and so they, they were able to do that, thank goodness, because he was just an amazing horse for me um, and for my kids that I was able to help with, like, with the vaulting on my end, because that just, it yeah. was his job. He was just, he did so good. And because of that, like, I just feel like he really, those last four years of his life were just amazing. And he was so happy. And yeah. yeah. Well, and it's crazy for me to hear those, like, beginning stories of him being dangerous, because <laughs> when I met him, he is a puppy dog. Like he is a gentle giant of 17 plus hands, like this huge, huge, just teddy bear and so sweet. And it's just interesting to be like, wait, he was what now? <laughs> no, seriously. So, and I crazy. kid you not, it was the day that I brought him home. It was, it was so surreal just because I brought him to this new place and I was like, ugh, like we will see because, because I mean, he still was a little bit reactive. Um, so I just, I brought him out of the trailer and I put him into the community arena because I was a little bit nervous about taking him straight into where the horse paddocks were. And oh my gosh, he just came out, looked around. He was a little high headed. And then he just big breath out, sighed. And just from that day forward was just an amazing angel I mean he he was amazing he just yeah I think I think the difference to knowing that I was his person from that point forward and he didn't have to deal with 20 different people telling him what to do and he had a job he had something he had a purpose some horses aren't cut out to be handling 20 different riders all the time and doing lessons stuff I mean there are just certain horses that are not cut out for that and it sounds like that was just not Gabe's calling. <laughs> no, and so. he he really struggled too because there was there's three trainers there. There was me and two other gals, and it was hard just even between the three of us. So when we could just come down to where it was like, okay, I will be pretty much his main handler. He he thrived a lot more on that as well, just because it was more consistent. Um, so I was very particular about who got to lunch him and how they lunched him. We were, you know very careful. So when I had assistants, like, you know, we would work for a long time, just working through how to lunch him and different things. And he still had some anxieties, um, where I never, I never did vault him unless I brought Sandy along too, because he did have a lot of anxiety that way. But if Sandy was there and if she was just tied up at like outside of the arena at another point, he was 100% okay. Um, and then with me there too, he would, he would do very well. So yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I know it's beside the point, Good guys, but oh my gosh, I just, <laughs> when we had to put him down, I'm like, I don't think I've ever cried so long, so hard in a very long time. <laughs> he just, I just miss him so much. Yeah. He was a cool kid. So Camry, I'm kind of curious because again, this is the barefoot stuff, the track stuff is I deep dived in that 
when I started working with you. That's kind of when I was like, oh my gosh, it saved my horse's life. So I'm just like, ah, about all of it. So you got to hear a lot of my, ah. <laughs> so, um, and I feel like you kind of thought I was cuckoo kachoo, but let me know, like, what were your thoughts about everything I was talking about and kind of what are your thoughts now and what have you, yeah, just tell us about your, your thoughts about track systems and things. Well, at first, as far as like the maze and everything goes, it just sounded like a lot of work. Like, I'm like, that's a lot of like putting up T-posts and putting up electric fence and like, <laughs> that sounds like work. <laughs> yeah, that is um, one thing. It is a lot of work. <laughs> yeah. And so that was kind of my first thought with it. And, and then my other thought was my horses, most of mine are in big enough paddocks that they get a fair amount of movement. Um, but I also don't have access to the back side of my paddocks. So I only have access to the front side of mine because the back of my paddocks butt up against uh, my neighbor's yard uh, field. And so it makes it more difficult to have my water and my food in two different locations because I can't feed on the backside. And if I were to make an alleyway back there it would cut into their space too much and I don't want to cut their paddocks shorter <laughs> um, and so that was kind of just a thing for me I was like well I just don't have the ability to do anything about it um, because they're mostly runs so they're either 12 feet wide or a couple of them are about uh, roughly 25 feet wide um, so the two on the very end were able to extend and make them a little larger and then the three in the middle are a little bit narrower so it makes it difficult you know you can't really make a, a loop or a track when you've got just a run um, so for a while it just kind of was something that I'm like well it's just not doable in my location um, and the only reason that I kind of started thinking about it with Freya was we just weaned her baby like two weeks ago so I took the area where I had three horse stalls that were 12 by or 12 by 28 and I combine them into one little paddock or one bigger paddock, I should say. Um, and so it was 36 by 28. But instead of, I took two of the panels out completely. Um, and then the other two, I decided to fold the one out. And so it made kind of like an L-ish shape. And so that way now I am feeding Freya on the back side of that little l and, and then she has to walk out around the panel and then come all the way to the other corner to come and get her water. And I noticed, I only just did this like, I don't know, four days ago. <laughs> um, and it was, it was fun to see that she was the last horse eating that day. Like she still had hay left when the others were completely finished. And I was like, yes, like she's, she's taking longer to eat, which is good for her gut. And then she's moving just a little bit more because she is having to walk out and around to go get her water. Um, so that was kind of fun to see. Um, and it's, it's not a traditional track system as far as like, it's not a big track out around the outside of a big pasture or anything like that. Um, but it still goes along the same idea of just getting more movement in with the amount of space that we have. And my horses do get turnout. We turn them out in the arena so that they get that like zoomy run around, like huge amount of space. Our arena is huge. It's a roping arena. So we have a very, very large arena that they have tons of space for, but they only get that one to two hours 
you know, maybe three, three or four times a week. Um, and so it's, it's nice that when they are in their stalls, I can provide a little more movement. And then I also decided a couple of days ago to start feeding hickory at the back corner because his is the stall that's on the very end. So I actually can have a little bit of access to the back of it when we're feeding. And, um, that has helped a lot as well. Him and Lola that are right next to each other are not bickering so much because their hay isn't right next to each other. Um, but I, with Hickory, I have been kind of going back and forth with something because he is a hay dunker. So he takes his hay, takes a bite and then dip, 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 dunks it in his water <laughs> and it makes a big mess, but it's actually, that's very good for his digestion. It's good for them to have a lot of water in with their feed. And so my husband, when I started feeding Hickory in the back corner, he's like, well, now he's just not going to drink anything. <laughs> he's like, Hickory's just not going to drink because he is, Hickory is very much a, a quote unquote lazy horse. Like he is not motivated to move. He could just like stand still all day and be fine. <laughs> um, and so he's like, he's not going to feel motivated to go get water. And so I've kind of gone back and forth of like, okay, is it more beneficial to get him moving, but then he drinks less or will he still drink more? So I, I kind of want to monitor him a little bit closer these next few days and see, okay, how much water are you drinking? How much movement are you getting? Or are you just staying at your pile of hay the entire time you eat and not drinking a single thing until you're completely done with your food? Um, so I, I kind of want to play with that and see see what it is creating with him and maybe we need to just put one flake by the water and two flakes over in the corner and so there's kind of a pros and cons thing there of of what's more beneficial more water intake or more movement <laughs> and how can we yeah. get the best of both worlds with that oh so. yeah for sure I, I'll be interested you'll have to report back what you find yeah with that I mean because my opinion is well no horse is not going to drink period you know, they're, mm -hmm. they're going to need water and it doesn't matter how lazy the horse is. He's going to go get water. But like you said, his intake might be a little bit further down. So it'll be interesting to see like what specifically he does um, yeah. and, and what you notice there. And like I said, that's why I feed half and half. So half on one side of the paddock, half on the other, just because it does make them go over to where their water is. And then they do go stand at their water because their water intake is way down in the winter anyways. Um, but that is why I've, I've done it half and half because then I know for sure they're at least going by the water. So they have so they have that because I, I was worried about the same thing, especially with how much snow we've been getting. It was like, okay, are they going to be motivated to walk through all this snow to go all the way around to just, you know, drink water? Or are they just going to eat snow? <laughs> so, but yeah, so it'll be interesting to see. And I love that because um, honestly, there's a lot of things like if you, if you go into some of the Facebook groups or whatever, <laughs> you get into the, well, that's not a true path paddock paradise kind of stuff and I'm totally in this for the movement so when I say tracks is it like I am looking at it how can I just provide my horse with as much movement and as much natural grazing as possible um so when you look at at some of the traditional what a paddock paradise should look like like there should be no endpoints. I've always had endpoints in in my track system just because of what makes sense in how I feed and in how I can get my horses the most possible movement. I've always had endpoints. Um like like for instance at the paddock that we had down in Utah that was that was a lot smaller where we were doing the maze, the water and 
the hay were right next to each other, but I just put a fence in between them. <laughs> so, so, you know, then they had to still go around, but there was just, it made no sense to, to do it any other way with how we were set up, um, which would not be a traditional, you know, paddock paradise track system. Um, and like what I've got now isn't a traditional one. And I still feel like you get that, like, well, that's not really how you should be doing it. But heck, if my horses are getting more movement, it's taking them a lot longer to eat and, you know, they're, they're grazing and they're, they're looking at different things. And I'm happy because the boredom goes way down because they are having to travel at least, at least the majority of their day, right. They're having to travel back and forth to go get hay and to look at different things. Um, so I'm just, and, and their feet, their feet are so much more healthy too, um, which I really like. And I like to be able to put up little obstacles for them to go through as well. Like in the, when, when we don't have snow on the ground. So that's what I'm in it for. Um, I get, well, I'm, I'm, I'm not traditional. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say you and I definitely don't like to fit in boxes. <laughs> we don't. <laughs> <laughs> we like to do our own thing. Um, and I think it's all about it's, it's not about fitting into that box of having it look exactly like some pristine, perfect um, something. Uh, I have seen on this track system Facebook group that you and I are both in, some of these people spend more on their track system than I make in a year. Oh, I yeah. mean, they mm -hmm. go so elaborate. And I mean, if you have the means to do that and you can do that for, for your horse, that's amazing. That's wonderful. But not everyone has that luxury of number one, that much time and but that much money. I mean, all of it, the the means that the money, the time, the land, the amount of property you need to make something that elaborate. Um, and so it is about, OK, is your horse getting the movement you want them to get? Are they as hydrated as you need them to be? Um, and then are they safe? Because, I mean, the maze that you made, um, it would not have probably worked so well for a baby like a cult because you had was it t-posts that you used yeah no and that that was my biggest concern with what we were doing so it was that like pros and cons of okay we're getting enough movement how is everybody's because I was really worried about that when we first put that in because you can like horses can really injure themselves on t-posts it especially yeah. in that tight of a maze that I had to put up um so that was something like I said we started pretty a lot bigger than what you saw where I just cut the thing in half first and just to see because as much as Gabe was an angel he also was a little butthead <laughs> and he would bully some of the horses and that was something I had to really tightly monitor to make sure can my horses that get bullied get away with get away from him safely and can they get around him safely and can they you know still have that space where they feel safe in this system as well because yes the system is the system was mainly for Gabe right? It was, it was all to just try to rehab Gabe as much as possible. Um, so no, <laughs> I would not set up what I did really in any other situation without 100% monitoring your horses and being okay with the fact, yeah, your horse could get very injured on those. And it was that pros and cons of, okay, but is it, is it going to be beneficial for them if they don't, you know? And that's, that's what I had to look at that. Cause because I was very nervous <laughs> about what I had set up. Uh, yeah. Well, and I had a horse. I mean, so I use panels for most of my stalls. Um, the new ones that I just put in this year, we used drill steel and sucker rod. But all of my ones where all my personal horses are, are made with panels and T-posts. 
and but the the t posts are like right up against the panel you know like it's wired to the t post so there's not just like an open t post that they could land on so i thought i had a client horse in there at one point and she landed like she kicked up at another horse and that t post went right into her butt and i'm like of all the things like this t post like you that was like a one in a million chance that you landed just exactly right that you could have even landed on that thing. And so T-posts just are a they're horse dangerous. owner's nightmare. They are, yeah. they're not ideal. If you can use something else, I highly suggest using something other than T-posts. But if you know your horses are really chill, they don't bicker. You know, if you have your horses separated into different groups where you know they're not going to be kicking at each other rearing up at each other because the rearing is really dangerous with t-posts too they could come down and and get a t-post through the chest um so yeah just be aware of your horses and stuff when you're if you're considering doing something like a track system um just make sure that that you are aware of all the factors there because there are a few factors to consider (laughs) oh 100 and like to be completely transparent i wouldn't have done that in that paddock space that i had had I not been trying to rehab Gabe, like had it not been kind of his last chance to live, <laughs> right? Um, I would not have done that for the for the other horses that I had. It just, it wouldn't have made sense. It, the risk would have been too high. But because for me, the cons of having to put Gabe down versus doing the track system, I mean, I definitely wanted to keep Gabe alive, Gabe alive. And so that that was kind of what I was weighing against there. But 100% transparency, I would not have done that for my other horses. Like it just, the risk would have been too high to make it worth it um, with how I had it set up there. Now here, I still use T-posts, um, but I also have, what I've done here is T-posts are at like the the bigger like are my anchoring points but then in between there's about three um plastic electric fence posts as well so I'm not having quite as many t-posts and then I've also looked at trying to cap my t-posts which that's expensive (laughs) but eventually that's that's kind of my plan as far as that goes but I mean, you'll have a lot of these really nicer ones we'll link to the Facebook group you can go kind of check it out they have amazing fences and like Camry said I mean there's just no way at this point, I could afford that. And for me, it's worth setting up a couple of T-posts around if my horses are getting the movement that they are getting and, you know, saving my pasture for one, two. Um, it's worth that to me versus versus sitting around and waiting until I have all the money in the world to set up the perfect thing. You just have to work with what you've got and you've got to weigh out those pros and cons. Cause yeah, there's definitely cons to this system as well. And yeah, one of the big ones is, is that, and then the time, it does take a lot of time to set all of this up. This is something I'm constantly working on. Um, you have to have, you just have to really plan it out too. It takes a lot of planning. Like my maze system, we had about 15 different gates, you know, because it's like, okay, if my horse is over here in, in the middle part of the maze and I want to go catch him, I do not want to walk this maze every time I go try to catch my horse. And even with this track system, when my horses don't want to be caught, it's a really annoying when they run to the other side of the track and I'm on the one side and, you know, so I do try to set up where I've got multiple gate points as well. Um, In the winter, it doesn't work out quite as well because we only have one gate that we can shovel out since we don't have a 
we don't have any kind of equipment with a plow. So everything is hand shoveled. So all of my big gates are 100% buried. And so we only have one gate at this point. So in the winter, it kind of sucks because they do They're like, oh, mom wants to go to the arena. Let's run to the other side where she can't get me. And I do end up walking a lot. <laughs> uh, so one of the things that I thought as I was reading through some things about track systems was a lot of people will use it to help thin down a fat horse. Um, and so the track system will not have hay on it it'll just be dirt and then the inside of the track system that the horses don't have access to so if you think of like a, a human track around a football field right there's going to be this field in the middle that the the horses don't have access to um and it was kind of interesting to me to <laughs> as i was reading some of the people's comments and they're like well what do i do with the middle of the field do i mow it do i just let it grow and i'm like you're not going to use that food? Like, what? <laughs> like, mind blown. <laughs> I know, I'm like, what? And, but I really like the idea of, um, of rotational grazing through the middle of that field so that there's only a little bit of grass they have access to, but you're still going to be getting it, um, getting use out of it, getting feed out of it. Cause your horse still needs to eat every day. <laughs> you just, some horses, if they are overweight, you need to limit how much they eat. And so I think you could either do something where there is a gate that you could open that they could have access for, you know, X amount of hours every day in a certain section, or it, even through the whole, the entire center. So you don't have to block it off into different strips or sections. Um, but that way you're still feeding your horse, but they're not eating all day long if they are a, a fat horse that needs to lose weight um so that that was just something as I was looking into it that I'm like yeah like definitely still feed that off you know use it to to feed your animals but um yeah maybe find some way to make a, a gate into it and out of it so that you can restrict access at certain hours so yeah well and I do want to kind of say too with the paddock system it's not like your horse doesn't have access to hay they they feed hay and you just have hay points. So the idea is with those fat horses, they are moving more than they're eating, right? So they're moving from the different hay points and that's how it helps. Like they're still getting volume of food. It's not like they are going eight hours without food. They actually have food access 24 seven. Um, so I do want to put that in there, but yeah, with the, with the middle of the field, that's something I've been playing around with as well. And I've, I've sent Camry a couple of pictures of my grazing plan this year. Um, because with our field, um, it's just, it's kind of, it needs to be replanted and everything. And I just do not have the means to do that. Um, but what I have done or what I did last year was just every night they get out on the field and they just get to eat all night long. And I liked that um, because then they have full bellies and I could ride in the morning and and get them out they had full bellies i could ride and then i'd put them on the track system during the day so during during the day they're getting that movement back and forth of getting to play with the different boredom busters i have in there um and then at night they have that but I, even even with just night grazing they still overgrazed sections of the paddock of, or of the pasture so this year i'm doing more of a rotational style that's my plan where i'm going to set up and and split my pasture into like three sections i think and I'm hoping with with how we've got it set up that 
each section will have at least a month of rest from the horses. So I'm hoping that that'll kind of help with the growth because I, I'm a little bit nervous this year. I'm like, I will see what comes back up because they really overgraze some sections of it. Um, and I might buy I might buy like a couple of bags and and try to plant as much as possible when the snow melts um, as well and see if we can get some some more growth there. But with everything, I do like this. It's a lot of time to do this, to set up a track system. If you are not willing to go out and, and put up like a double fence and you don't want to put in, you know, fences across your, your pasture, it is not for everybody for sure. Um, but I do want to talk about the one study that we will link to where I, I can't really call it a study. It's not necessarily a scientific study, <laughs> but this guy did his like own personal study on his horses, um, which I kind of want to talk about. Is that okay with you, Camry? Yeah. Is it the one that you sent me yesterday? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I read through that. Yep. Yep. So this one's really cool. So this guy set up a track system. He has a three acre pasture. So he set up a track system around the perimeter of his pasture. And then he put a GPS tracker on one of his horses because some of the, some of the, uh, what, like, I can't think of the right word. But some people were saying, oh, well, why do a track system? Like, they're going to move more if I just put them out on a three-acre pasture, right? Because then they have the whole pasture to move around. So he's like, okay, well, I want to see if this if that's true. So he put a GPS tracker and then just let his horses out on the three-acre pasture. On the three-acre pasture, he he noticed that in 12 and a half hours, the horses moved about two miles and never went faster than a walk. And then he put him on the track system and how he fed them on the track system with the second part of his study was he had like three points where there was hay stations. So they had to travel from hay station to hay station to hay station around the track system. And what he found is that in 11 and a half hours, so one hour less, they moved 3.3 miles. So in one hour less than before, they moved a whole mile more than they did in just a regular paddock system. And during that time, 10 times during the day was at a strong trot or canter. So they not only moved more, but they also changed gates 10 times during that 11 hours. Um, then he also tried it with a different kind of um, feeding. So where he was spreading hay around the track instead of putting up different stations, he just took and did piles around the track system. And what he found that in eight hours, so four hours less than in than when they were out on the paddock, they moved three miles. So four hours less, they still moved a mile more than they were out on the three acre pasture. And during that time, so during the eight hours, eight times during the day was at a strong trotter canter. So every hour they're changing gait and they're running around and, and going from pile to pile to pile. So that to me, it was a really cool just look. And again, we will link to this in the show notes so you guys can kind of look at it. He's got some really good pictures with the GPS dots and everything. So you can kind of see what the horse was doing and how he had his setup. Um, but that was a really cool thing for me to see, to be like, wow, yeah, they really do move a lot more. And I mean, I kind of got that from from what I was seeing my own horses do, but it was fun to see that from like a GPS tr tracker point of view. So Camry, what did you think of that? I thought that was awesome uh, because one thing that I've noticed with my horses in their paddocks um, in the like fly season. So in the spring, summer and fall is they stand in one place and then they stomp at the flies. And that is really bad for their joints and their feet. 
Um, and so we have been trying to get them to move more and stuff for that reason as well, so that they can move around instead of standing in one spot because walking and moving their legs will keep the flies off better than just stomping and it's better for their, <laughs> for their bodies. Um, and so it, it was fun to see just how much they move around. Um, the one thing that I noticed as well was like with spreading hay out like that, I think for 90% of people, that's not going to be doable because where I live, it is crazy windy and that hay would be gone in minutes. <laughs> and the wind would just take it away to the neighbor's house. And, <laughs> and so um, I know a lot of people do use hay nets. And I saw another, um, as I was reading through a bunch of things, I think it was on that Facebook group, um, a gal that kind of showed the difference between when she spread it out versus when she put it in hay bags versus when she put it in um like a larger group feeder, I think were the three different things that she tried. Um, and the hay nets, I don't know. I had some thoughts on those, I guess with, cause they had, she had mentioned, don't put shoes on your horse. If you have hay nets, cause they'll paw at the hay net and then it'll catch on their shoe and they'll get caught up um, and it can really hurt them. And, and then also the position, because you want the hay net to be lower so that your horse can have more of a natural grazing position while they're eating. But I did notice in one of the pictures that she put up, she had put a barrel over top of the top half of her hay net and the horse was reaching down really low to get the, the hay, but the horse's head was tilted tilted so that they could reach underneath. And I'm like, oh, I don't know that I like that. Like that head position of eating in that position mm -hmm. kind of made me cringe a little bit <laughs> I was like oh I don't know about that um but I, I I love the idea of slow feeder hay nets as far as if the horse can reach down in a in a straight head position and not have to cock to get their head and get underneath and grab that hay um for me hay nets are not doable at this time <laughs> because of how much time it would take and then how much my horses would probably just eat them like Lola would tear it apart in a, probably two days. Um, and, and I could not afford to replace the hay nets that quickly. Um, so really just spacing hay out is more the option for me. But like, what are your thoughts on the hay nets? And have you tried hay nets before? I know you said you had used one of those kind of larger um, slow feeders at one point, but kind of give me your thoughts on that. I'm with you as far as all of that, because I'm in the same boat. It is super, super windy where I'm at too. So spreading it out isn't always doable. So what I do right now, I'll just kind of tell you what I do right now and then kind of give you my opinion on the different things I've tried. But on the days that aren't windy, I will spread it out just because they do get that movement and it just kind of switches it up for them and makes them search a little bit more. And that's how they get more movement is in their searching. And um, so we spread it out. Like if we know it's not going to snow and we know it's not going to be too windy that day. We will just take it down the long end of our track system and I watch them for a little bit and what they'll do is take like one bite of one pile and then move to like a couple piles down, take one bite, move a couple of piles down and then they go back and forth and it really does increase their eating time. Um, but I'm also really careful about where I put the hay because I don't want to put it under where they walk because I want them to get as much hay as possible without wasting it. <laughs> um, so you do have to, it takes time. And if I'm in a hurry, I don't like to feed that way because I'm in a hurry and it, it takes time to walk down and, and break up the hay pieces because I only have two horses. So I'm only feeding what four flakes at a feeding because I feed twice a day. Um, 
anyway, so it takes some time to do that. Now, I have tried it a couple of different ways. So I've tried the hay nuts and I don't love them because again, it takes a lot of time to fill those things every single time that I feed. Like it's much easier to just walk down and spread out the hay than it is to put them in hay nuts for me. And especially if I have somebody who's feeding for me, I can't ask them to spend like a half an hour to fill all the hay nuts too. Um, And then my horse Comanche eats everything. So my hay nuts are torn up in about I don't know, a day. Um, and then I tried taking my feed bags because we had a we have a buttload of feed bags and I actually have cut um little like sections in them, like probably like inch by inch holes in them. And like just just on one side in a row. And I really liked that. Um, it actually took them a little bit longer to chew through those and to destroy those. And then like I didn't care if they got destroyed because I have a hundred of them and you know I'm constantly getting more. Um but again, it took a little bit longer to feed them up, but it was a lot easier to fill those than it is a hay nut. So I have done that. Um, and what I do so is I... Really quick with that, when you say feed bags, you mean like the ones that you get your cubes or pellets or grain in, right? Those kind of bags? Yeah. Yeah. So like our senior feed bags or um, gotcha. our pellet bags. Yep. Yep. Because so at 50, first I thought you were talking bags. about like the the hay bags, not the hay nets, but the hay bags that you buy that are like oh, canvas. Yeah. And I was no. like wait, you're cutting holes in these things and you don't care that they destroy them? They're expensive. <laughs> yeah, no, not those. <laughs> I was like, wait, and then I realized by the time you were talking. Anyway, yeah. continue. Yeah. No, you're good. You're good. And what I liked about that, because what we did is just hung them on posts and then they had to like really like bite into them and it took a lot longer for them to actually get 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 them out of those bags than it did the hay nuts. Um, and what I did is just hung them up. So they weren't all the way down at the ground because I did not want feet getting caught. I'm way too paranoid to do that. But I put it at about, so they still have to kind of come down a little bit. Um, so they're not feeding like up in the air, if that makes sense. Like their heads aren't up straight. I would say their heads are fairly level when they're eating that way. Um, but then I also do like little board and busters. I take my protein powder containers when they're empty and I drill like two holes on one side and I'll fill that full of like chopped up carrots or apples or senior feed or something and I'll put them in in uh in feeders so then they have to push them around and they can get like little treats out of that and um so there's a lot of different ways that I that I do it but I think the bags are probably one of my favorite ways but it does take time because you have to cut holes in the bags and then um you have to like I put holes at the top too to to get twine through and that's how I closed them as well um and then so, you have to fill those and all the things yeah so with that do you worry about especially Comanche swallowing parts of the bag because I guess that would be something I would worry about is because those can create oh, what are those things called entroliths Mm -hmm. the little stones they get in their gut mm -hmm. if they consume something that they can't process and stuff. So do you, I mean, have you noticed that? Do they eat chunks of the bags because it smells like grain or senior feed or something? <laughs> <laughs> or are they like, I think it's food. I'm going to eat it. <laughs> no, actually. And one thing too is I worry about Comanche all the time because he eats everything. <laughs> like we just had to go down. He's taken chunks out of all of our wooden posts all the way around the the pasture so I've had to go and put like the the non-cribbing paint stain stuff and we stained our entire our entire shed with that stuff um to keep him from chewing it that's the only thing that I found that works and then we wrap things in chicken wire too that horse makes things expensive you're gonna need to link to that cribbing 
Yes, I will link stuff because you have tried. We like my horse's bitter yuck works really well for them, mm-hmm. but you said that did not work for him. Mm-hmm. So for anyone who has tried other like no chew things, um, yeah, link to this in the comments because yeah. I'm sure other people are going to want to know what actually works for your horse <laughs> that nothing else worked for. <laughs> yes, stinkhead. Yeah, no, I will definitely link to that. Um, and honestly it's a pain to use I'm like so I'm not gonna lie this is my last resort of stuff to use for this horse because it is a mess it gets on everything it ruins your clothes it ruins your gloves um and it takes forever to dry as well so like I said I stained my entire shed in it it took a week for my shed to be dry with this stuff yeah so (laughs) I really hope you don't have to use it let me just put it that way (laughs) now um so anyways I watch him eat as well because I've been really worried about him eating the wood, right? Well, he eats it and drops it on the ground. So he just chews it and then spits it out. When he eats stuff, he's just a pain that way. (laughs) Is he part goat? (laughs) Seriously, (laughs) Camry. (laughs) Like, he cannot have nice things. His lead rope is seriously like a $2 lead rope. And I'm like, you are not too have this horse in any other lead rope because he chews the ends off of it anytime we have him in that lead rope and like seriously even if he's tied up for just two minutes he's chewing on the end of that lead rope if you have him, if you're standing there with him he takes it and he chews on you know the part that's closest to him he just chews all the time um and I have been worried because he's a very flagellant horse I've never had such a flagellant horse so like gassy he farts all the time and it is rank like it is not good (laughs) and I like I said I've never had a horse fart so much and he did that from the day one that we got him and when we got him he had some like infection in his sheath so I I took him and got him cleaned out there um but his poops are solid like he doesn't have any weird poops and and he's on you know, pretty good feed. Like we, we give them really high quality feed or try to, um, right now the quality isn't as high just because of what we've had to get for hay. But, um, but then he was also supplemented with all these good things. I don't know. So, so I've wondered if some of the chewing behavior leads to that flagellance. Um, and I'm like, that's the only thing I can think of because digestion wise, he's actually digesting a lot better than when we got him. He's on the bottom of every totem pole that's like he gets picked on he is the one who gets picked on and so I do think it's it's kind of an anxiety thing um I'm sorry I'm giggling right now because I can just see it like his personality was just summed up in one Disney character oh yeah which one dopey dopey (laughs) no it really is though oh my gosh Like the happy As good I, lucky, but hello. Like, oh my gosh, yes. I'm like, yep, yep, that's okay, Comanche. You are now dopey to me. Yep. Oh, no, that that's perfect. Exactly who he is. Oh my gosh, yes. Yep. But anyways, so going back to the original question, I have been very careful to watch him eat. And he does spit things out. And then with the hay bags, he they honestly, it took him a while to tear into them and they never tore just chunks out the feed bags were a lot better than than my feed nets like they were able to actually tear sections off the feed nets like in just two days where the bags it took them a while like I can and I can reuse them over and over and over again because they did not tear into those I thought they'd be gone in a day and they weren't they were actually a lot more solid than than my feed my hay nets were um 
Oops. But yes, I, I watched him very carefully and he just spits everything out. Stinkhead. So, I mean, I'm glad he spits things out. So I guess I can't call him a stinkhead for spitting it out. I just wish he wouldn't <laughs> take a bite of it in the first place. <laughs> and it's the same like with Sandy's tail. You know, he eats her tail. He just eats it. And then I so saw I'll find big clumps of just hay on the ground <laughs> where he, I'm like, child. Of, <laughs> do you mean of her tail? You said of hay? her tail. Yeah. Sorry. Of her <laughs> tail. Yep. But, um, and then I actually tried to, I took, so we had some old, um, like water troughs, like the metal water troughs that had holes in them that we, that that's what we use to feed now. And what we did is actually drilled some holes in them and then put like a chain. So, um, drilled some holes and then put like little, like, I don't know what to call them, but they're the round hook things, (laughs) um, that you can get at the hardware store. We put one on the bottom, one at the top, and then run just like a small chain there and then we put one of the you know like the cheap fencing that you can get the white cheap fencing that's lattice the lattice fencing so then we we actually cut a hole or cut them around so it fit perfectly in there and we tried that for slow feeding um and that worked okay the horses can really chew those up though too like break them more than chew them up um but we tried that for a little while and that was um that would have been good, but they were able to kind of pick it up more than I wanted them to and able to move it around, which I was really disappointed because I was really excited about that um, because it was just easy. We just had hooks at the end so we could just unhook the chain and then throw the hay in and then put it over and then hook it back in so then they couldn't pull it out of the deal. So we tried that um, and then I've done, um, like I said, I took a part, like a quarter of a round bell feeder just bought the quarter it, by golly though just to buy that little piece it was a pain <laughs> it would be much easier just to buy the whole thing but to just buy that one little piece it was such a pain but I've taken that and cut off the legs on that so it's flat on the ground and it doesn't have um and then it's solid for about the first two feet and then it's got the places where they can put their necks and I really I really like that especially if I'm going to feed just large like if I just put a whole bell in there and they can just have access to that that's worked out really well um when I when I do that um though that does increase a little bit of waste because they pull it out and then they stomp on it but I've done it a lot of different ways so it's just figuring out what works for you for me I want it to be as easy as possible like ideally I would love to be able to have stations where I can have nets hanging from places and then other stations where they can have like there are herbs and things to pick through and I would love that. It's not feasible for me right now. You know, in order to do that, I feel like I'd have to hire somebody who just did that for me. <laughs> right. Um, yeah. And then it just, it takes a lot of work. So what works best for me right now is what I do is I just feed, I feed half of my feeding on one side. So they get a flake each on one side in their, in their little bins. And then on the other side, they get a flake each on their little bins and right now that works great because they're moving a ton and I just have to quickly drop it in and then I'm done. Um, so that's what I'm doing right now and it works pretty well, but I agree with the hay nuts. Like if you have shoes on your horse, I would not do hay nuts close to the ground. It's just a disaster waiting to happen. Yeah. And even if they're up a little bit, I mean, horses, some horses, uh, they paw really high. Like I, that one big Palomino, that was there mm-hmm. when you were here with me he could paw higher than any horse I've ever seen I would tie him at my tie posts which 
Granted, in hindsight, I wish we would have installed them a little bit higher, but they're about a standard height of what you would see at most arenas and things like just your, like right at the horse's chest, essentially, kind of where their nose would sit. And uh, he pawed, I had him tied and he pawed up over his lead rope. And I don't tie horses loose where the lead rope is draping way down. I make sure I tie them where the lead rope does not go down below the level of the post. So I'm like the fact that he was able to paw up that high and get his foot over his lead rope. Luckily, he was a smart enough horse that he hung back for a couple seconds and then was like, come fix it. <laughs> Help me. And so he didn't tear himself up, but it could have turned into a big mess. So even with your hay nets higher, um, be aware of if you have a horse that paws a lot um, and if they could possibly get their foot in there and get get caught up in a net. Cool. So. Yeah. Yeah. And there's been a couple of designs that I really like because I'm constantly looking for different ways to feed. It's just who I am. <laughs> um, and I want to get my horses as happy as possible and try to bring down the amount of work that I have to do um, when it comes to feeding time. And the more I think about it, the more I'm not opposed to having them up higher and hanging from something that's harder for them to grip because like if they have other places where they are searching apart from where your hay is at I don't think it's that big of a deal to have them grab that because what they're going to do is just grab it and then they're going to come down and then they're going to chew it you know they're not going to chew it up high um like I feel like they kind of tend to do with some of the some of the tall feeders I don't know if you've seen that you can put like a whole bale in the top and then they've got the feeder like right underneath that when we had that for a barn that I worked with and I did watch those horses and I felt like they ate higher than I feel like they would if they could just grab it and then come down because of where that feed thing was so they just kind of ate with their head extended and just ate and then continued to eat where I feel like if you could hang it up make it harder to grip so like if you hang it up correctly where they where it moves when they go into grip it takes you know it takes them a minute to grab the food and when they grab it they're going to come down and chew it um so that's kind of where I'm leaning towards eventually but again it's it's a lot of work because to set up the hay stations like technically you want them at like the corners of your track system so they're going from corner to corner and then they have to travel in between that's a lot of walking <laughs> to do when you're feeding you know to to have to go and and collect the bags and then fill them and then go back and like put them on and we don't have a four-wheeler or anything so it would just be me you know carrying these things over my shoulder and going and hanging them up which I'm not 100% opposed to but there are days when it's like no we've we've just got to go and I need to just quickly place them here and so I'm always right now that's that's just what we're doing we're going for more convenience and trying to get the most benefit out of our convenience that we can from it. Yeah. I was just about to make a joke of, well, you know, if you need to reach your 10,000 steps, walk around. Your horse's no, track seriously. And them. <laughs> I, I kid you not though. I mean, and especially in the summers, that's, that's part of what I do is that helps get my movement in because we do, because I try to set up some board and busters to try to keep Comanche from eating so much. Like I am constantly figuring out how to, how to get that horse from eating. I'm going to try this this summer. I will tell you guys, I'll let you know. I'll report back in a few months if this works, but what I'm going to do is take some logs, like just some little logs and just cut them in sections. And then I'm going to, I don't know, I've got to look and make sure peanut butter is okay. But if peanut butter's not, I'm going to do molasses or something. And I'm going to paint it 
with peanut butter or molasses. So he has to sit there and look at those instead of on my fence. And I'm really hoping that that might help. And I'll hang it in a place that he can't grip it and bite it. So he can just lick it and then it'll kind of move. So he can't get a good chunk out of it. I'm going to try that. I'm really hoping that that'll work. Because I've tried, you know, like I said, I've tried my protein powder buckets with treats. I've tried, I've tried just throwing hay out. Like, I mean, I just can't get him to stop chewing. Well, yeah, report back. I will. I will Sounds let y'all know. I will let y'all know. I don't know how fun it'll be. It's just another one of those things that I'm like, now <laughs> I got to paint logs. <laughs> Maybe I'm supposed I'll get, to be like, decreasing the intensity <laughs> of the time that I have to feed my horses. <laughs> no, seriously. Like, seriously, I'm like, okay, how can I, how can I figure out a way to just dip the logs? Like, and have like a few logs ready to go that I can just dip, walk out, hook it up, grab the old log put it in and then dip it, you know, the next day. Cause yeah. I don't know. Well, I'll figure it out. If it works though, it's going to be worth it because man, he has chewed. I kid you not. We brought brand new. They're about eight inches wide posts to put up some of our corner fencing halfway through halfway through those posts. Wow. All of them. Wow. Yeah. He's a and beaver. Oh, Camry. <laughs> Tell me how you really feel, Michaela. (laughs) It is, oh, it's just like, I can't have nice things. That's how I feel. We can't have nice things. So I'm like, yes, I would love to have fencing where it could be beautiful and wood and we could have like, but no, because he's going to eat the whole thing and we're going to have to replace it every year because he's going to chew the tops off of all of them. So... (laughs) I just like at this point, it's like, what's, what's the point? I mean, other than getting what you have, like the nice metal stuff, but gosh, that stuff is expensive. And it's like, I would love that, but it's just not doable yet. (laughs) Eventually, eventually I will have that. But right now you do what you have to, and T-Post is what I have to do and it, it works okay. And yeah, well, and your horses respect fences well enough. Yeah, Um, they do. Boredom busters. Ah, yes. So I know you had already mentioned a couple of them. Um, I know some of the ones I've seen are the, like they, they cut out slices of logs and then they put them in a box, mm-hmm. a flat box. And then they put like treats or carrots or herbs or whatever, where they have to push the logs around mm-hmm. the, the slices of the logs around to get to the things so that it just gets them playing and, and mm-hmm. searching and, and doing things. But what are some other things that you've seen or tried as far as boredom busters go? <laughs> oh gosh (laughs) um y'all should follow me on pinterest (laughs) because i only have about like five thousand board and buster things saved to my pinterest board (laughs) because again anything to try to get comanche to stop eating stuff i am saving and gonna try um there's so many so many out there the ones that i really like actually just are like large dog toys um that i really want to try Cause we have like the jolly ball and everything. I've done the, I've done the protein powder bucket full of feed stuff. Um, my, my biggest thing with boredom busters is again, it comes to that time thing, like, like the logs and the herbs and everything. It's like, okay, that's great. But now I'm going to have to chop up herbs. Now I'm going to have to chop up carrots. Now I'm going to have to chop up all these things, which again, like in the grand scheme of things, isn't too bad if I can, if I can prep it, but it all comes down to how much are you willing to do if it's like a treat-based boredom buster. 
Um, which is why I'm kind of excited about the log thing. Cause I'm like, well, if I, especially if I can figure out a dipping system, that'll take me two seconds, right? Where even the, even the protein powder treat things that I have to do. I mean, it just, even to just go out, we have to collect those, bring them in, open them, fill them just enough. Cause you don't want to, you know, I don't want to give them too much of whatever it is that I'm giving them and then, you know, go put them out and monitor like, okay, are they getting it? How, how many holes is too much? And there's just times it's just like, okay, this, this is a lot that I'm doing <laughs> to just entertain my horses. <laughs> um, so there's a lot. Um, one, one, there's a couple of things that I do want to try um, that are more like dog related. And I kind of want to do it for my dogs too, is like posts with like tug of war things or things that they just pull at and mess with that, um, that they can just play around with. So one thing that I saw is like taking, you know, those dog toys, um, they're like the small balls that are lattice shaped and kind of squishy. So you can get some of those that are like the bigger portions and you can stuff them full of hay and full of carrots and things and then hang them. Um, that's one thing. But again, it takes the stuffing full of treats and, and hanging them. Comanche is one though that does play. So you have to also watch your horse. Sandy's not much of a player. She like, you know, she doesn't like to just pick up the jolly ball and throw it around. Comanche will. He picks it up and throws it around and plays around with it. Sandy doesn't. She's not much of a of a toy horse. Um, so if you know your horse, like I think Comanche. Oh, go ahead. Oh, go okay. Ahead. Sorry. <laughs> I'll um, say something after, but I was going to talk about jolly balls. So keep yeah. going. Um, so I do think Comanche would be one that would be more toy motivated. So I do want to try just hanging just some toys even without filling them full of food and seeing if that helps. But there are so many ideas out there. So seriously, if you if you need one, find me on Pinterest. It's just Mac Athletes on Pinterest. And you can follow my horse board. There's, I think, about 20,000 pins in my horse board. So you can go and, <laughs> and play around and see what I've what I've done there. But um, I, yeah, I'm constantly looking for board and buster type things to just stimulate his brain as much as possible and her brain too. Like I do want Sandy's brain stimulated, but she's she's a treat motivated horse. Um, and I mean, so is Comanche, but I feel like Comanche would be motivated with toys. Sandy really isn't. So I'm going to try out a bunch of things. I will report back. <laughs> awesome. Well, and one thing I've noticed that a lot of my clients have said the same thing is the jolly balls. Most horses will not pick them up and play with them. Yeah. Um, and, but what I have found works a lot better with the jolly balls is I take some hay string, just bailing twine and tie them to my the roof the ceiling of their shelter and then they'll push it around like a tether ball mm -hmm. and so I'll put it actually in between two of my horses paddocks so they both have access to it so they can like push it across to the other horse that's cute <laughs> and it actually they engage with that a lot more than they do with it on the ground mm -hmm. um, so just in case anyone wants to try that if you bought a jolly ball and it's just sitting there doing nothing because your horse won't play with it tie some string to it tie it to a, a post or to a, a ceiling and, and make a tether ball out of it <laughs> yeah yeah I love that and honestly anything hanging I just feel like it increases their curiosity that's why I'm I'm thinking about like hanging up maybe some nets or 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 balls or just something just to see if that stimulates any kind of playing behavior um, to keep him from chewing. Um, I, I've also toyed around with the idea of doing a, like a little hole and putting treats in the jolly ball. I just haven't been able to do that yet because I'm like, a jolly ball is like 30 bucks. Do I want to drill a hole in this? <laughs> um, but I might, we'll see. <laughs> 
Yeah. Well, and I've actually done it with a tarp too. And I haven't done it for so much as a boredom buster as just an exposure thing. Mm -hmm. So, but I've tied a tarp from the ceiling as well, the roof. And um, some horses, they enjoy going under it and it like rubs across their back. Um, And then some horses, it is a little bit scarier. So like if the horses are nervous about it, I put it in the horse's stall that's several horses down from the one that's nervous about it so they can just see the other horse play with it um but like it's it's just something that like you said it increases their curiosity and they go and mess with it and walk underneath it and Mm -hmm. so another little idea there yeah well and that's and honestly like that being said that's another big reason why I like my track system and why I'm gonna keep it just because it gives them more stimulation even if I don't have all these boredom busters they get to wander around and check things out and look at different things a lot more than they would in their paddock too. Like in their pasture, when I do have them out, I mean, that's why there's section of my pasture that are overgrazed. It's because they hang out in one spot and just eat in that one spot all like the entire time that they're out there. Um, where on the track system, they are having to wander and look at different things. And I will put, like, I've put like the big rocks that we find in my field, I just throw in there on their track. So then they have to go around the rocks and, and I try to put things for them to walk over and just, just different things to stimulate them a little bit more. And I really like that because um, I feel like it just makes them a little bit more alive and helps with their coordination. That's another thing is I love putting things for them to really walk over and walk around because sometimes, especially Comanche, when we first got him, he was tripping over everything. But he hasn't tripped at all since we've had him on a track system and he's had to step over things and he's had to actually watch his feet and watch where he puts his feet. Um, yeah, I haven't seen him trip at all. Actually, I, you know, I didn't even think about this, but I haven't seen him trip at all in the last year and a half. So um, just different things like that. I really like, especially for young horses, yeah. I feel like it would be really helpful for them instead of standing in a in a stall all day, they get to learn how to move and move their body and pick up their body without you having to be right there with them as well. So, um, I did want to, I think this is what I wanted to talk about, but, um, one complaint is like, oh, well, that's a big section of my, of my pasture that I'm having to give up for them. And it honestly isn't at least what I have found, um, doing it on on my pastures I have just about the same amount of pasture as I would anyways because they're only they're only on the perimeter right and my perimeter I do about anywhere from 10 to 12 feet wide or the narrowest points and then the corners I always do pretty wide because I don't want anyone to get stuck in the corner so I want to make sure they have plenty of room to chase each other around the corner and then my bigger wider spots where where that we feed them and where they kind of hang out those are bigger bigger areas but they they're bigger anyways because they were already there because that's that's where they were their holding pens and stuff were um so overall I'm like I have not seen like it it has not because I feel like the places that they do stand anyways even if you were to bail your field you're you maybe maybe down like a bale maybe in in that total space that they're using and that's only if you're able to actually go from perimeter to perimeter with your baler. And a lot of people can't. So I'm like, I feel like the places that that they're walking and they are kind of tearing up a little bit. Because, yeah, I mean, they are walking. That That is a high traffic area. So it's going to be harder for things to grow there. I feel like it has not taken down at all what we could produce. And because I do have... Um, because it is electric fence. Because we've toyed around with hiring somebody to come bail it as well. Um to see if that could help 
if if I don't want to do the rotational grazing. Um, and so the, we've set it up so we can get a baler in and out. And it would be really easy because we've used some of the plastic electric fence. Um, it'd be really easy to just quickly tear those up and he could easily get around where my where my um T posts are, um, those anchoring points. So I, I don't know. I feel like it I feel like honestly it does not cut down on all of that much space. Um, and then we do have risers where we have our hand lines at. And I was a little bit concerned about that because that's around the perimeter, but that's another thing. It's like, you're not going to bail around those or cut around those. So like, I, I haven't lost any area on the side that those are at at all. Um, and what I've done is actually taken old tires and I put the old tires around those. So then the horses don't, don't touch them. And if they're, if they're running or anything, they just hit the tires because the tires are big. So they give them plenty of space that it has not been a problem. Um, so that, that's one of my things is like, I, I feel like, I feel like that argument isn't as big of a deal. Um, now that I've done it on a bigger pasture, I'm like, yeah, I feel like I have just as much space as I would without doing it that way. And they're not overgrazing. So, or they, they won't be hopefully this year <laughs> overgrazing. <laughs> Yeah, well, and it is just a pros and cons thing. Like, yes, it is going to cut back on, you know, maybe a couple of bales, depending on how big your field is, maybe a few more than a couple of bales. Um, but do the benefits that you get from doing it outweigh the cons of missing a few bales? Um, so it's, it, you just have to weigh it out for yourself and for your unique situation, how much acreage you have, how much, how many horses you have per acreage um, and all those things. And if it seems worth it to you, great, do it. If it's not feasible, then don't. Um, and like with that, if you have one of the things I wanted to mention is if you have a very small space, kind of like the space I've got Freya in, don't make it so tight that your horse cannot have straight movement because a horse moving in alignment and moving straight, um, kind of in that like migration mode, I guess you would call it is very important for their structure their body their the way that they um the way that they need to be moving to stay sound and happy through their body so don't make such a tiny maze if you have a really really small space just to get your horse moving more if it's going to make it so that they cannot um cannot go straight you know they need to have some straightness in the way that they move um, so just be aware of that too i think that if you have a smaller space Maybe the attract system is not for you if you've got that small of a space. Maybe just feed in one corner and water in the other corner, and that's the best you can do with what you've got. So yeah, no, I I one hundred percent agree with that. Like like I said, I did the maze system just because it was like the last resort for my one horse, but I would not do that at all. Like I I would not recommend that at all. Um, well, and even in your maze, the the pictures in the video that you sent me, your horses still could go straight. Like there were turns, but they could go straight for a little mm -hmm. ways. So yeah. yours was somewhat still feasible um, for yeah. the short term situation you were in and with what you were trying to accomplish. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, I don't think yours was necessarily too small. Um, well, but I no. Think and like that, that being said, I don't think it was too small. Like they were getting plenty of straight movement. They had you know, places to go and things to do. But um, I still think like a maze just really isn't a good idea. <laughs> like, honestly, I just, I just don't. I mean, yes, I did it. But again, it was because of all of my weighed out options and what I decided was actually best. 
but I would not say, oh, you should do this like to anybody because there is so much risk to it. There's a lot of time and energy put into that. Um, and most people don't have that space. Like, like most people are like you, right? Where they're in stalls, you know, or they're in these things. And I would not go put up a maze in your stall. Like, please, please don't <laughs> do, do like what Camry said and just like feed on one end and, and water on the other and just yeah. see if you can get them moving around that a little bit more. Um, I feel like a track system is best if you are in a situation where you've got a pasture and you don't mind spending some of the time to put up a fence around the perimeter. Now I would say the perimeter that I've got is awesome because I, I only had to put up the fence once. My maze system, we were constantly changing the maze up depending on what came up. So like if if one horse couldn't get away with another, we were changing the way that the maze was set up. Um, there was a point like we we just split our paddock in half and just had like kind of what you said you did with with Freya where we just had one line in there where they just had to go around to get that because Gabe was bullying one horse more than the other and we had to just separate that like it just it was a lot of work um a lot of taking down fences a lot of putting them back up um where my perimeter now like I have no intention of moving that fence until we move, <laughs> you know, um, I'm not like, it's, it's going to stay up there. I'm not going to put in any crazy ones. Now I'm going to put in some divider fences for a rotational grazing this year, but I'm not going to, you know, take those up and down. Like I did with my maze, my maze system. I kid you not. We were, we were changing that probably every two to three weeks because of, <laughs> because of the herd dynamic we had and just trying to figure out what really worked best. Um, so yeah, I, again, the May system, it, it was the best option for me, for Gabe and to keep him as healthy as possible. Um, but also my horses were getting out a lot too. Like we were going to the arena, they were traveling to, they were traveling to lessons with me. Like they were getting a lot more, um, movement and stimulation in other areas too. It wasn't just the May system. Um, so there was that as well weighed into that. Um, so I would say like, if you have a pasture and you want to try it out, try it out. I think it's an amazing thing, an amazing tool that you can do for the health of your horse. Um, but if you're, if you're in kind of a shorter paddock area, it's probably not the best idea just because, yeah, like I, I would just say like what Camry said, just try to feed and water in different areas um, and, and work with that. And then if you ever end up having a pasture and try it out, try it out. Cause again, I'm a big proponent of it. I do think it is the best thing that I can do for the health of my horses. And that's why I continue to do it, even though it takes me a little bit more time. Um, that's why I've chosen to do it because I do really believe that it is helping the mental, emotional and physical health of my horses. Yeah, for sure. One day I will have more acreage to do that with <laughs> oh camera you should see my dreams <laughs> like this is what I do in my free time as I design like oh if we bought this property this is how like I would have this amazing track system and this is how it would be and we would have this spot for my ponies that I want to breed and this spot for my endurance horses and this spot for <laughs> yeah. no I I'm constantly dreaming and and I think that's why the track system works for me too because it allows me to be creative in my horse space as well and I'm just that's me like I love to create stuff I love to make grazing plans I love to just recreate different things and bless my husband's heart he's willing to help me fix all of the things whenever I'm like oh we should move this here and we should do that there um but I think for somebody who probably doesn't love that much 
creativeness they might not like, you know, the rotational grazing and, and the different things. I'm constantly drawing up different plans for rotational grazing and different plans for, oh, if we bought this property here, we could extend it, extend this track system here. And how could we make this work for all of these? I just, I like to do that. It just stimulates me and I get excited about that kind of stuff, but not everybody does. <laughs> yeah. Well, and now all of our listeners are going to know what we talk about when we're like track systems and they're like, huh? Right. <laughs> track. <laughs> now, yeah. now they know. Yeah. It's literally just a way to make your horses move more. Um, but, and yeah, go check out all those links. We, like I said, I do not do the traditional paddock paradise. Like I don't post to the track system because I think people would, you know, not be happy with what I do with my horses because <laughs> I've got endpoints. I'm not like doing anything crazy but again I just I do feel like it has helped my horses move better I feel like it helps keep their their muscle tone as well um and for me getting ready for endurance I feel a lot better about not riding or or you know riding and lunging every single day because she is on a track system because if my horse wasn't if if Sandy wasn't on a track system and she was in a smaller stall I would have to get her out daily to make sure her body was ready for endurance right for for that kind of stuff but because she is running and trotting and they race back and forth across the track all day and they they go to the different places she is having to to go around different things I feel pretty comfortable just with my routine of riding three times a week and just getting the mileage in those three times a week because she is getting so much movement when she's not being ridden as well and that's another pro in the why I do it yeah so check out all the links and let us know your thoughts leave us voice messages review the podcast we love reviews and uh, we'll chat with you guys next week see ya thank you for listening to the horsewoman project if you have a story to tell please email us at thehorsewomanproject at gmail.com Links to both of our websites, social pages, and emails will be added to the show notes, as well as any links that are mentioned or contact information for our guests. Talk to you next week.